Spiritual grandparenting, spiritual grandparenting has never been more needed in our churches than it is today. That was Michelle Anthony speaking to grandparents at the 2016 Legacy Grandparenting Summit. We're going to hear more from Michelle in a moment, but first, welcome to Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. I'm Wayne Rice, Conference Director for the Legacy Coalition, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Larry Fowler, who is the founder and CEO of the Legacy Coalition, and also John Colombe, Director of Development for the Legacy Coalition. Hi, guys. Hello, Wayne. Good to do this with you again. Hello, friends. Hey, John. Uh, you know, you remember uh, uh, Michelle Anthony. She's uh, she's a good friend and a leader in the family ministry movement. She has been for for quite some time now. She did a book uh, called Spiritual Parenting, which also is a DVD series. And um, when I was uh, on staff at uh, church, my church as a family pastor, a generations pastor. We had all the parents in our church go through that uh, DVD series. It was fantastic. But I'll tell you, when I first read her book, Spiritual uh, Parenting, uh, it was a real paradigm shifter for me. And I know it was for a lot of other youth and family pastors uh, when it first came out. We talk a lot about intentional Christian grandparenting, and she's been talking about intentional spiritual parenting for a long time. Um, well, I'm I'm familiar with the book too, Wayne. In fact, I'm looking at it on my bookcase right at right as we uh, record this, and I agree with you. It was a game changer, a, a paradigm shifter. I really appreciate Michelle as well, and have valued her work over the years. She's a got a great mind and has wonderful insights about the family, and she's got a great husband too, Michael. <laughs> and uh, they together have done some great ministry together. You know, I was just thinking, um, we've really exaggerated the professional's ability to do the task, which is primarily the parents or secondarily the grandparents. And I, I heard some time ago <clears throat> about spiritual genetics, that the seeds of faith are sown and germinated in the home best because uh, that's where we're known best. That's where we are our weakest. <laughs> and that's where we're our strongest. And I just really appreciated her words of, of instruction and getting us to get more involved in, in the spiritual lives of our grandchildren. Well, the home is really important. I, uh, we've all recognized that for years, and it's been a subject uh, for several decades, really, about the importance of parents and raising spiritual uh, this the spiritual temperature in the home. I remember one time I was at a Christian college teaching in a class on parenting and uh, talking about the importance of the home. And one of the students came up to me. Now, this is a young lady that was majoring in Christian education. She came up and said, I remember going to church uh, all the years that I grew up. I never recall one single conversation about spiritual things with my dad at home, though. And not one. And uh, she got the importance, and she happened to be the exception of someone that was following God, even though that didn't happen. But uh, Michelle got that from early on, how important the family is. And seek to. she did everything that she could, and still does, to, to integrate that into the home. 
And that was the assumption uh, with our Old Testament <laughs> saints. I mean, you assumed that the home would be the place where these things are going to be modeled and lived. Well, uh, Michelle Anthony is our special guest uh, speaker, and so let me give her a proper introduction here. She is the pastor of children and parents at New Life Church. That's in uh, uh, Colorado Springs. And uh, she is the family ministry architect for David C. Cook. She's the author of Spiritual Parenting, as we've mentioned. Uh, Her other books are The Big God Story, Becoming a Spiritually Healthy Family, and uh, her latest book is Seven Family Ministry Essentials. Uh, Michelle has over 25 years of church ministry and leadership experience in children's and family ministries, and she has graduate degrees in Christian education, Bible, and theology from Talbot School of Theology and Southern Seminary. Here now is Dr. Michelle Anthony speaking at the Legacy Grandparenting Summit. One of the things that we need to do as we think about raising up a generation of spiritual grandparents is that we think through this idea of how will we invest our time. And how we invest our time actually really matters. I want to read to you Ephesians 5, starting with verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is an important passage for us as parents, but as grandparents as well, to think through. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful how you live. And then he goes on to say, Paul says, because the days are evil. Now, as grandparents, we can sit around and talk about how evil the world is and how different it is from the day that we grew up. Or we can focus on the, on the other piece of this passage, which is to be very careful how you live, to redeem the time. One of the most important things about being a grandparent is that we can appreciate perspective. Appreciating the perspective of an older generation to say, it won't always be like this. And instead of focusing on so many of the things that bog us down, how do we focus on the things that really matter? In fact, Paul, the apostle, he said to redeem the time. And when I look at the word time as a parent, I look at the time like I need more time. And that's the word chronos. It comes from the word chronological. It would be, I I need more hours in the day. I just, if I just had a few moments to myself, if there was just a few more days before the birthday party or before Christmas or do, do the shopping or whatever it is, We want more time. And that's the word chronos. But this is not the word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 5. Instead, he says redeem the time. And he doesn't use the word chronos, meaning chronological, more time. He uses the word kairos. And kairos is an especially different kind of time. It's a different type altogether. It's a moment that is seasonably ripe. I used to live in California, and there were vineyards everywhere. And around late August, early September, the the vineyards would just be bursting with delicious ripe fruit. And if, if 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 those grapes were picked too soon, they would be bitter and unuseful. And if those, if the, if the farmer 
tarry. Those, those grapes would become overripe, fall off the vine, and be not useful either. But there's a kairos moment, a seasonably ripe moment in late August to September when, when you harvest those grapes that they are perfectly ripe. A woman who is nine months, two weeks pregnant is in a kairos moment, right? She is seasonably ripe. It's a, an opportune time. Now, what's interesting about the word chronos is this is the Greek word for time that we, we become slaves to. There was a Greek god. His name was Kronos. And one thing that was known of Kronos, this evil Greek god, is that he ate his children, now, as disgusting as that is, think about how time, chronos time that we live under bondage to, it simply gobbles it all up, right? It gobbles, gobbles, gobbles up and is never satiated and demands more. This is the word that we live by as parents and yet grandparents seem to live by a different clock, the clock of Kairos. Grandparents have a perspective to say, pause, take a moment. Did you hear what was just said? Let's pay attention. This is a seasonably right moment, and trust me because I know. I've lived through many seasons. There's a perspective that we need to align ourselves to because of the wisdom that is there. I remember when I was a young mom, and I was hurrying about my duties. I had two little children and I had been over at my paternal grandmother's house and she was baking. She was a baker. She was that grandma who baked and she baked up a whole bunch of just yummy delicacies and I had my children and I was busy, busy, busy and she came out with this warm platter of cookies and baked goods and she set it before me and she said, would you like coffee or tea? And I said, I'm good. Because in the moment, I'm being a slave to Kronos, and there was a lot to accomplish in my day. And I said, oh, I'm good. And she said, no, you're not good. And she forced the situation. She said, stop. You just need to stop for a moment. And so I stopped because she was my grandma. And of course, you have to obey your grandmas or you don't get the cookies. And so I, <laughs> I obeyed my grandma. And I almost didn't know what to do in my stopping and I, I sort of must have just looked like that to her. And she said, this is a moment for you to speak the goodness of the Lord over your children. And I remember that she led me to Psalm 71, 17 through 18. Oh God, you have helped me from my earliest childhood. And now that I am old and gray, don't forsake me. Give me time to tell this new generation about all your mighty miracles. Give me time. There's a perspective that we must look at when we are looking at the age of grandparents because they just get it. You get it. And when we take Kairos moments and we invest in the lives of our younger generation, we are giving them a gift to declare about God's mighty miracles. And we're doing exactly what Ephesians 5 tells us to do. We're redeeming the time. 
We're purchasing it back. And there might be a God of this age that is demanding more and more and more slavery to what we call time. But there's a God who is inviting us in to capture and seize these little moments that impress us for a lifetime. That was probably 25 years ago, and I remember it as if it was yesterday. The second thing, not only do we appreciate their perspective, we create intentional implementation. We create intentional implementation because if we're not intentional, things just go by the wayside and they evaporate before we even recognize it. When I look at scripture, I see that God is intentional. I see that his word is intentional. Everything he does is intentional of how he was creating family and a faith community. When I look at the way God defines family in scripture, I see that he called Abraham out in Genesis chapter 11. And he said, you are going to be the father of many nations. Now, clearly, Abraham was not going to be the biological father of all of these nations, so clearly he was speaking about being a spiritual father, a spiritual grandfather to many nations. When we look at the word family in the Old Testament, it's used almost 300 times, but it's used in a broader sense. It's used to be a clan, a tribe, my father's house, extended relatives, and even spiritual family members. Then we look in all sorts of places throughout scripture and we see the son of, the son of, the son of. And it blurs our Western thinking of son of because we think in, in, very, in very literal terms like that is the son of and we look at a father-son relationship. But scripture could have been talking 20 to 25 years of a generation gap and still say the son of. There's a beautiful, affectionate language that starts resonating in the New Testament when we hear things like, dear daughter, beloved son, and then God begins to refer to himself as our father who out in heaven. And then that makes us brothers and sisters. There's this beautiful family language that God was very intentional about creating. And then yet when we create church to manifest his values, we sometimes abort that very mission. So is it warm and fuzzy to think of ourselves as the word oikos, the Greek word for us being a spiritual family, or is this intentional on God's part? I've recently been thinking about what that means for my church. So, for example, if we are going to do a father-son retreat, which many churches do, I think usually there's a call-out from the pulpit or it's in the bulletin or we do some clever video to invite everyone, and immediately you might think, well, my father is deceased or I don't have a son. Because we still think in very literal terms about family. And so I say, we're doing a father-son retreat and you don't feel a part of it. But what if I were to say, we're going to do a father-son retreat. And many of you in this room, are your fathers are deceased, but you are a spiritual father because of where you are in your walk with Christ and your love for the Lord and your knowledge. Will you come and be a spiritual father and grandfather to those here? And many of you, you might have daughters or you don't even have children yet or you never will, but you are a father in our community. And you know what else? You are a son that needs to be discipled. 
And to the young people, they come and they watch generations pouring in. The father that never had a spiritual father is now mentored by a spiritual father of how to pray with his son or disciple his son. Or maybe that older gentleman in our church who does not have children and maybe not his parents any longer has now found a place in the family. So it's one thing just to do an event. It's quite another to be intentional about it. We also have these family Sundays. In fact, I have one coming up at my church just after Thanksgiving. It's a family Sunday. Now, traditionally, that meant basically no children's ministry this weekend. And all the volunteers had a weekend off. And so I was going into the executive planning meeting and they said, oh, I bet you're excited about that Sunday. No children's ministry. You guys get the weekend off. And I said, no, 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 we will never say that again. Family Sunday is not the weekend off, it's the weekend on. That's the Sunday we get to be family together. And it's not just about the children, it's about the youth, and it's about the young people in our community who don't have children, and it's about our grandparents. And I want this to be just as much about them as it is the children, and we're going to be a family of God together. And so one of the things that we are intentionally doing is every child who walks in the door is going to get a bag. And sure, there will be a little coloring page and activity and even a fruit snack to keep them busy during service. But there's also going to be a blessing card in there. And at, a, at an appointed time during the service, the pastor is going to ask that child to pull out their blessing card and to find someone who's older. Well, this will be fun, right? But find someone who's older in the congregation and then that older person, that spiritual grandparent is going to read that blessing over that child. You see, there's an intentionality in what we do. Just because we're together doesn't mean it's intentional. And then as we were discussing it, because some people were still calling it, oh, the children are in the service that weekend, I said, it's not just about the children. It's also about our grandparents. And so we've made phone calls and we've asked, what are the kinds of songs that you, as an older generation, would like to sing? And, and literally, one of the people that I was talking to said, oh my gosh, I thought you just asked me what songs I want to sing on Sunday. <laughs> and I said, I did. They were so excited. Boy, I can tell you, I had a list of 22 from that one person. <laughs> When we start thinking of ourselves as a family, then we create intentional paths toward that. Ministry happens in ways that we never anticipated. And then it's important that we engage in intergenerational activities, right? We need to be the family of God. How we operate is of great importance to our Lord. There's house rules, right? All of us grew up with house rules. We could probably recite the ones that were most important to our mom or our dad or our grandparent who was raising us. These are, these are the things by which we have to abide by. And do you know what? God has given us house rules. It's as if he's posted them and framed them and saying, this is the way I want you to operate in my family. And in 1 John chapter 2, we have sort of this understanding of the heart of who he is. 
He says in verse 12, I write to you, John says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Then he goes back to the children. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Isn't it interesting that John is calling out generations here? This intergenerational feel of family, he's calling it out just as the family of God is starting. This is the church had just begun in the New Testament, and he calls out the children, and the things that he says about the children make me think of them as receivers. He says two things about them. One, you have forgiveness in Jesus. That's a receiving gift, right? You have forgiveness in Jesus. We should celebrate that with children all day long. And then he says, you have known the Father. And when the Father is used in Scripture, it's always as the lover and the provider. So they have received salvation, love, provision. They are the receivers. Not only do we have children in our community, but we have spiritual children, those who have just come to faith. So they are to be in a posture of receiving. But then we go on to young men. And he says, you've overcome the evil one. You are strong. The word of God lives in you. And I think of them as doers. I think of them as the generation who are just out there and they are, they are intent in God's word. They are living it out. They are serving in our churches. They are the ones who are out there doing the work of the ministry. And we have young men, we have young women spiritually who are in that generation as well. And then I love that he adds fathers. And I think of the father generation as the knowers. Now, I know that's probably not correct grammar, but we had receivers and then we had doers, and so now we have knowers, right? But the interesting thing in 1 John chapter 2 is that John says the same thing to the fathers twice. You have known him who is from the beginning. And then he says it again. You have known him who is from the beginning. It's this, it's this consistency. It's this pattern of reliability. It's just that you can count on this generation. And there are those of us who are that that place chronologically, and there are those who are spiritually wise. They are our spiritual fathers. And I, I think about a church that is just full of receivers, right? A church who's just like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want it to all be about me, and that's children. And you can't have a church with just receivers. But what about a church that just has doers, but there's no one to receive? Or worse yet, they're doing, but they don't have the wisdom and the knowledge of the knowers. And how many traps have doers fell into because they didn't have the knowers coming alongside, giving wisdom, saying, I've walked this path before. Let me disciple you. Let me walk with you. 
And the beautiful church family is when we have all of those generations working together. And what I have found in modern family ministry is that we have a lot of receivers. We have some doers, but our knowers are abundantly scarce. And it's not because they're scarce in numbers. It's scarce because we have not learned how to tap into that and to encourage that. It's a spiritual grandparenting deficit that we have, and everyone is needed in the family of God. This is the house rules. Spiritual grandparenting, spiritual grandparenting has never been more needed in our churches than it is today. We are living in what the Bible calls the days are evil, right? We are. And we need knowers. We need disciplers like never before. I told you I took this position just six months ago at our church, and I'm over children and youth and all the parenting ministries. And so my husband, um, who's, who's in the knower category, right, and he came to me, and he has two doctorates, and he said, how do you want me to teach, or how do you want me to serve in your ministry, Michelle? I'm here to serve. And I said, you're so smart. You know the Bible. Do you want to teach? And he said, I can do that. He said, what else do you have? He said, what do you have that nobody else wants to do? I love this man. <laughs> I, said, I said, I'll tell you what nobody wants to do. There's a 12-year-old boy in our ministry who has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, extreme ADHD, and bipolar disorder. And nobody wants to be his buddy on a Sunday. And you know, my husband, my knower, my father, man, husband said, he said, I'll do it. And my husband has become a spiritual grandfather to this young boy that nobody wants. And he's difficult. And he's hard to work with. And he's hurting because his biological father left him, and then his stepfather, we're pretty sure, um, is verbally abusing him on a regular basis. And he's unwanted everywhere he goes. The principal at his school is trying to get him kicked out. He's always in fights. When we do response times, his pictures are violent. And yet my husband has stepped in to be a spiritual grandfather. In fact, my husband was in Italy and was supposed to come back on a Sunday afternoon, and he took the red-eye flight so that he could go directly from the airport and come and show up for this little boy. On several occasions, he has shown up, and this little boy says, well, he won't be here today. And I said, oh, he'll be here today. And every single week, he shows that consistency and that stability in this little boy's life. One day they were playing Legos across the table, and um, my husband said, you know what, I'm thinking of a word about you, and it starts with the letter S. What do you think it is? And this little boy said, stupid. And I said, no, I, I was watching you do those Legos. I actually, the word I was thinking of was smart. And six months have gone by, and they were playing Legos again a couple weeks ago, and my husband said, Sonny, I'm thinking of a word about you, and it starts with the letter S. Do you know what that is? And he said, smart. And he said, yeah, you're smart. 
One day we were getting ready to go to church and my husband put on his belt and then he grabbed a second belt. And I said, what, what's that for? And he goes, oh, I'm bringing it for Sunny. And I said, has it gotten that bad? <laughs> and he said, no, but there's, there's no man in this child's life. And the kid runs around with pants that are too big and they're falling off. And so every time he's playing or no matter what he's doing, he has to have one hand holding up his pants. He says, where's his father? Why isn't anybody telling him that? I'm just going to bring him a belt. So he took Sunny aside and he said, Sonny, this is a belt. You put it through the loops on your pants and you tighten it up. And so Sonny puts it on and he started running around. He said, my pants stay up. And he goes, yeah, it's a belt. (laughs) Those are the kinds of things that we need when we become family. Do you know how many orphan children and grandchildren are in our churches? Do you know how many orphaned grandparents are in our churches? How will we intentionally link arms so that the sunnies of this world know that God loves them? And if we're going to do this, everyone must be willing to sacrifice. If we're going to really accomplish this, if we're really going to make a difference, then everyone will have to be willing to sacrifice. Because do you know what? The thing about church history is that there are always people who will go back and look over eras of history. They will look back and they'll define a certain era. Maybe it was the Great Awakening. Historians will look back and say, oh, that was the Renaissance or the Reformation. Or that was the Jesus movement. Do we have any here from there, right? The Jesus movement. And we look at these movements of how God has worked over time. And usually historians will label that after the fact. Rarely do they label it while we're in the midst of it. But men and women, God's spirit is moving in our churches for the sake of family, for the sake of the generations. Grandparents are living longer than they ever have with better health. This is a movement of God that the church can awaken itself to or we can miss it. And someday when historians are looking on these years, maybe 2015 to 2035, I don't know what it will be. But when a historian is looking back over these years, are those historians going to say, they missed it. They even had a grandparenting summit. They had research. They had They had biblical values. They had family ministry infiltrating the the churches at every level. They had all of the resources available to them, and they just missed it. Or are those historians going to look at these years and say, oh, you better pull up a chair and sit down, because what I'm about to tell you, you're just simply not going to believe. I want that. I want to be part of that pull-up-a-chair kind of movement where we are going to have stories from our children and our grandchildren. And then Psalm 78 reminds us of the children yet to be born who tell stories of how we rose up as grandparents and spiritual grandparents in our churches. And if we're going to accomplish that, if we're going to be a part of the pull-up-a-chair kind of movement, then everyone, everyone has to sacrifice. 
And I think in eras past, we've made children sacrifice the most so that we can have our nice places of seating and we aren't disturbed during the service and whatever it is. I think there are times when our youth have had to sacrifice because they look funny and they wear funny clothes and they listen to funny music and they do funny things with their hair, right? And so they sacrifice because we kind of say, put them in the youth wing where we don't really have to look at them, right? Until they mature and get married and then you're welcome to come back into the church. Or quite often it's the grandparent generation that has to sacrifice because they're sort of sidelined. I was recently talking to a group of grandparents because I'm very passionate about how we are going to intentionally involve them. And I said, tell me how you feel about your current position in the church. And that was the word I heard more often than others. That was the most common word was sidelined. I feel sidelined. And to one woman, I just said, what would it, what would it look like for you not to feel sidelined? Because I want you, my ministry needs you. What would it look like? And she said, to be honest, just a hug. And so I gave her a hug, and every time I see this woman on a Sunday morning, I hug her, and we have our team hugging her, and she just wanted a hug. Another gentleman said, to not be sidelined would be to let him lead. He said, I led at the highest levels in the army. I was respected. I was valued. I spoke, and people acted upon it. And here, people just think of me as an old man shuffling through the hallways. Let me lead. I know how. And so I'm creating a very significant place for this man to lead. And the more I talk to him, the more I realize I have so much to learn. So everyone has to sacrifice. I remember talking to my mother-in-law. She's 95. And she was complaining a few years ago that my children, my adult children, wouldn't answer their phones when she called. And I said, well, mom, they work and they're at the gym or they're in school. Like, they can't always just pick up their phone. When you call, I said, why don't you text them? She said, well, I'm not going to text them. I want to hear their voice. And I said, well, what's the end goal? The end goal is that you want a relationship with your grandchildren, right? That's the end goal. And so if you text them, you'll have a relationship. And then I'm sure that out of that relationship, there's going to be times where they'll actually get to talk to them. She was so stubborn. She would not text these children. And one day, I said, just send a simple hi, and I bet they will text you right back. So she reluctantly just texted hi on her her phone to both of my kids. Immediately, they both texted back. She said, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get in touch with them for weeks or months. I send hi, and they text back. I said, Mom, it's their age. That is the age, the era of communication. If you want to have a relationship with them, this is a sacrifice that you can make. Well, not only did she start texting, then um, she started video chatting. And then <laughs> after video chatting, she started sending selfies, all selfies all throughout the day to my children during class and work. <laughs> 
different hairstyles, different clothing styles. My kids are getting quite a kick out of it. And then um, most recently, um, my grandmother has started Bitmojiing, my mother-in-law. This is her, I don't know if you know what a Bitmoji is, but I'm gonna encourage all of you to download the app Bitmoji. You will be the coolest grandparent ever. So she's 95, you make an avatar of yourself. So this is a 95-year-old avatar. You can see the, the, um, the outfit she chose for herself on, the, on Happy Saturday. She bitmojis my kids. She has gone social media crazy with my kids. Now, they will say, if you were to talk to my adult children, we talk to Nanner every day. She's one of the most influential people in my life. She sends me prayers. She sends me blessings. She sends me scripture verses. They are more connected with her and talk to her on the phone more than any other family member in our family. She was willing to sacrifice. And this woman down here, and she's going to be embarrassed because I, um, Debbie Gwen has come with us. She's also the... Um, editor-in-chief of Homefront Magazine, and we started probably a couple years ago putting an article in there called Spiritual Grandparenting, because Debbie, through um, some circumstances with her son, became the primary caregiver along with her son to co-parent her two grandchildren, who are six and eight, and she's had them since they were born. At 60 years old, she is full-time grandma and mom, to two children, started all over again after raising three of her own. Talk about sacrifice. She's moved twice. She works full-time to help provide. She's not going off to Palm Desert with all of her friends. She's sacrificing. And I just had dinner with these children last night. These are godly, dearly loved children who know how to love and be compassionate I sat at breakfast with her eight-year-old granddaughter, and she said that there's a special needs boy in her class that everybody's mean to, so she decided to be the friend to help coach him. And so Debbie said, well, how does that make you feel? And she said, it just makes me feel sad that people are like that to him. The sacrifice that you are doing is raising these two children to know Jesus, and that's the Great Commission is to disciple, right? Not just our children, but those who are spiritually orphaned. We're going to stop right there with that thought from Michelle. Guys, um, she talked about uh, getting a, a bitmoji, you know, to communicate with your grandkids. <laughs> uh, have, have you gotten a bitmoji yet, you know, uh, Larry? Is that something that you did? Well, I just did. <laughs> I did because uh, I was reminded of it. Uh, through you writing the script for this, <laughs> so I so I got one, and I want to tell you, it looks a lot like. Yeah. Me. Did you? Did yeah. you? Well, I'm pretty excited to share it with my grandkids. Did you put yeah. hair on it? <laughs> no, 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 no. They there's a. I uh, so I have an avatar, and yeah, it is bald. Okay, well, uh, my avatar is bald with a little white goatee, just the way yeah, I might use yeah. a younger picture of me. I yeah, <laughs> but I. Have, no, you have to start. You have to start by putting in your age, John. Yeah, so it'll catch it. That's where you start. Yeah. Well, I'll do that. It'll catch it. Yeah. It was uh, good to hear uh, Michelle's uh, 
address to our conference once again. Uh, I think what she said is so important. I spent um, several years on staff at uh, at our church as a pastor to generations, and our whole goal was to bring the generations together. I love what she says about uh, the generations, uh, uh, the the children being receivers, uh, their parents' generation, the, the doers, and then the older generation, that's us, um, as knowers. I don't always feel like I know everything, but um, but her point being that the older and wiser generations mm. have been kind of cut off from, from the younger generations, and so mm. we have orphaned children in our churches. But we also have orphaned grandparents who— really don't have much of an opportunity to pass on some of their uh, wisdom and knowledge to the younger generations. Um, Several years ago, Wayne, when I was intergen pastor at Fullerton, uh, we brought together 25 older adults who were like 70 all the way up to 90 years of age into the high school program one Wednesday night. And uh, we started off with playing a little wee golf and then some authentic putting <laughs> and had some fun together. The kids led in worship. And then we broke up into small groups and had 10 kids for every one of our older adults. And I had them bring uh, a picture of them when they were uh, a teenager. And I had them bring their report card <laughs> when they were a teenager. And, and I had them bring their stories and to watch these kids, older uh, adults and these younger high school kids interacting and some deep friendships came as a result of that. Some mentoring took place out of that. And the kids went home and I heard from some of their parents that this was the greatest evening in the youth group ever. And I just think we miss out. We're kind of afraid of each other. We're wondering, will we be accepted? Will the Can we handle the music the kids <laughs> might be singing and uh, not roll our eyes and not uh, bunched together, but spread out. And it it transforms a group. It does, young and old. I, I love that. And that's where it begins. Yeah, uh, John, you know, we, you know, I love what Michelle has to say about being intentional about, about um, uh, making these things happen because they don't happen automatically. In fact, just the opposite and has happened over the last, especially over the last 50 years as, mm-hmm. as we've developed children's ministries and youth ministries and college ministries and uh, men's ministries. And, you know, and, and we've actually just done a good job of, of intentionally separating the generations. And now we, we really do need to begin intentionally bringing the generations back together. And I think, uh, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about a, a, a movement of Christ, intentional Christian grandparenting. Uh, well, there's also, a, I think, a real movement in the church of uh, trying to figure out how we can bring the generations together. And, and as Michelle says, we really don't want to miss this. Yeah, we've got to grab the moment. And in that picture of, of uh, Kairos, Kronos, uh, I mean, the idea that this is swiftly going by. In fact, I think this Greek god looked like Mercury with wings on his feet and a tuft of hair in the front, and you grab it now. And, of course, we want to take advantage of both kinds of time. That's right. There are, for, for some of us, we, we have Kronos with our grandkids. Mm-hmm. And for some of us, we don't. We only have Kairos. Mm-hmm. And which, whichever kind of time we have, 
we need to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and you know the and and, and I I I really agree with her uh, when she says you know in order for us to be intentional, it's also going to have to be sacrificial. I mean, sometimes we we really do have to get out of our comfort zones in order to make this happen. Can you can you can you men think of anything else? That involves sacrifice, but when it really comes to it, it's not sacrifice. <laughs> and by, by that, I mean, you know, so what do we have to do to sacrifice um, in order to be able to impact grandkids? Well, sometimes we have to sacrifice things, but they are generally unimportant things. Or we might have to sacrifice our ego or some bucket list priority that we might have. But when, when we're at the end of life, all of those things become unimportant. So to sacrifice, we're really sacrificing things that are unimportant for something yeah. that is really very, very important. Yeah. It goes back to that statement that someone said, well, I don't think at the end of our life we'll wish that we had spent more time at the office. I mean, it really is the family, it's the relationships. And and those grandkids know, they may not know in the moment, but looking back, they will realize, wow. That took some time. That took some effort. Uh, we are getting closer to the uh, 2021 Legacy Grandparenting Summit. It's coming up this October. And I know that uh, at least two of our speakers are going to have a lot more to say about how the church can uh, be more effective at bringing the generations together. And that is uh, Reggie Joyner of uh, uh, Orange, the Orange Movement, and that whole idea of bringing it. It's, it's taking red. Uh, which re uh, is that the uh, church or the home? <laughs> the red and the yellow, and you mix them together and you get orange. And so Reggie always wears something orange when he speaks. But uh, also Kara Powell, uh, who's with the uh, Fuller Youth Institute, they've done some groundbreaking work in this. And so they're going to help us. That'll be uh, in October uh, for the 2021 Legacy Grandparenting Summit. Other speakers are going to include Josh Mulvihill, Kevin. Kevin Harper, John Stone Street, Rob Reno, Ken Davis, Terrence Chapman, Valerie Bell. We're also going to have music from Fernando Ortega, Scott Wesley Brown, the Isaacs. And uh, all the information about the Legacy uh, Grandparenting Summit is on our website. So uh, be sure to check it out, LegacyCoalition.com. Uh, we're only uh, a couple of months away, actually, from October. And uh, so uh, it's coming up fast. You can register now for either the conference in Birmingham or at one of the simulcast locations that are all over the country. And uh, we expect um, about 100 simulcast locations. Uh, so there shouldn't be a problem with folks finding a, a good place to go to uh, uh, attend uh, the Legacy Grandparenting Summit this year. Uh any other news from the uh, Legacy Coalition, Larry, that uh, you want to mention here before we sign off? Well, you covered it pretty good as far as the summit, and that's where we're laser-focused on right now is just getting ready for it. We are so excited, and we are so pleased with the 100 locations. Uh, for us, it it isn't just 100 locations. It's 100 churches that prioritize and value grandparenting. And when we started our ministry uh, in 2016, there wasn't one. 
Well, there's a, actually a lot more than 100, but these 100 are our sites for that. We're so we're so pleased with that. We believe that God is raising up grandparents like never before to impact their grandkids. And so this is just one evidence of that. Uh, we look for this to be a significant, significant event. And if you listen to this podcast, I hope that you will make it a priority to be there. You can help us propel this this national movement forward just by your attendance or by encouraging others to attend as well. Well, that wraps up uh, Legacy Grandparenting, the podcast of the Legacy Coalition. Until next time, this is Wayne Rice, Larry Fowler, and John Colomb saying so long and praying that you have a great week of intentional Christian grandparenting.